Good evening or good morning, Los Angeles, depending on your perspective. It is officially Saturday morning, 12.01 a.m., so we are glad that you are with us here on KKLA. This is the Apologetics.com radio show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. My name is Jason Gallagher, and I will be your host for the next hour. And I am in studio tonight with my good friend, Mr. Daniel Adrian. Daniel, how are you doing tonight, man? Very blessed to be here. Thank you for having me. Or this morning. What is it for you? Uh, I'm right now holding to dawn to dawn. Are you a literalist? Yeah, I take dawn to dawn. Or do you take figuratively? Dawn to dawn. But so the day I might be midnight to midnight. The day doesn't end till dawn. Dawn. So you're still Friday. It's Friday till about five thirty, six a.m. Depending on yeah. All right. When it starts to get that pre-dawn light, but I could be convinced it's midnight again. <laughs> that was my previous position. All right. Well, we're we're thankful that you guys are listening uh, wherever you're at tonight. Whether you're working late, maybe you're just driving down the freeway, maybe you're commuting somewhere, maybe you have big plans for this three-day weekend, maybe you're headed to the slopes, maybe you're headed to the snow. It's uh, definitely been raining a bunch here in Southern California, the most I can remember uh, in quite a while, uh, which we're grateful for, glad and grateful for all the all the water and all the snow, and we hope it continues to come. I heard Mammoth has like 30, like a 30-foot base by now of yeah. snow, which is which is amazing. Um, got to take my kids out there. <laughs> um, like I said, my name is Jason Gallagher. This is apologetics.com. We are sponsored by Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I am an elder there. Uh, Mr. Daniel is a deacon there. And we would like to just invite you out. If you guys have ever been to the South Bay, to the Torrance area, that's where our church is at. We meet at 10 a.m. Sunday mornings. Our pastor, Paul Vigiano, he's actually here 10 a.m. is on KKLA every Sunday morning as well. You'll hear his uh, sermons. They're not live. They are pre-recorded. But if you want to hear him live, come Sunday morning and uh, say hello to us. We'd love to have you. Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church, branchofhope.org. You can find us on Facebook as well. Uh, this is a listener-supported show. If you have been blessed by Apologetics.com over the past 24, 25 years that we've been a ministry, and um, you know you'd like to support the work we're doing. None of the hosts here are are um, you know we're all volunteers. We don't get paid, but it does pay for our radio time, which is going out to you know about 20 million people in the Los Angeles and uh, the greater Los Angeles area, so they can hear the gospel, the good news. They could um, hear a defense of the faith and you know reasons for the hope that we have and. You know, here at Apologetics.com, we've really been seeking to, you know, kind of bring some of the scriptures to bear on our lives and what's going on in the world around us. You know, what does scripture have to say um, to just everything that we see happening on a daily basis, you know, whether it's politically, economically, socially, you know, education, you know, and so on. And tonight, as the topic for our show, we want to talk um, dig into that a bit. And we, we're going to look at the scriptures and how they impact our lives. And we want to look at three primary areas of scripture, primary doctrines of scripture, primary characteristics of scripture. Uh, they are inerrancy, they are authority, and they are sufficiency. And uh, there's some nuance to uh, these terms and the definitions, but all of them, I will argue, and we will discuss 
how we view these things, how we view the inerrancy of Scripture, how we understand that, how we view the authority of Scripture, how we understand that, and the sufficiency of Scripture, how we understand these things will have direct and practical outworkings in our lives on a daily basis. And so that's kind of what we want to do. We want to um, talk about these things from a biblical perspective, see where we could learn from them, and see how, um, you know, if we're, if we're found wanting, for example, in doctrine, in our understanding of these things, how they can impact our lives and how we can um, live more, more faithfully as, as believers. And, you know, I think inerrancy, you know, is kind of a, one of those things that all Christians would, would probably uh, uh, subscribe to, this idea that the scriptures do not contain any errors, right? But I would say, and we could, we're going to look at examples of how um, the church over the years, while they might believe in inerrancy, that this book that has been given to us, that has been um, handed to us, you know, um, and has been divinely inspired um, over, you know, throughout history. God has used men to write it down. While they believe it's true, it's from God, it's inerrant, they believe it's not authoritative in all areas of life, or they believe it's not sufficient in all areas of life. And those have had uh, devastating consequences, and we are living through some of those consequences. And um, so we want to dig into that a bit and unpack that here in uh, 2023. This book, uh, the canon, which was closed. Uh, when was the canon closed, Mr. Daniel? <laughs> well, no easy questions tonight. Uh, there's Roughly. arguments about that. Uh, I would put it at the time of the death of the last apostle, which most of us believe to be okay. John. So near the end of the first century? Yes. Okay. Others would say uh, they would try to make an argument that the canon got closed by the destruction of Jerusalem. Right. But I don't, I'm not persuaded by that. But it. So, so this 2,000 year old book, which was closed, you know, officially, the end of the of the Bible was written, um, and God's not been adding to it since then. This book, what is it? What is it? You know, in twenty twenty three, you know, how does the inerrancy of it, the authority of it, and the sufficiency of it direct us today, where we're at? You know, um, I think there's quite a bit going on in our lives that we could all talk about and complain about, and think, you know, wish things were different. And I think a lot of it has to do with how we uh, view the scriptures and understand the scriptures. Um, so it's a really important topic, and we'd love to hear from you. Like I said, this is a listener-supported show. You can go to our website, apologetics.com, if you'd like to give. Um, there's some links there for you to do that. But we'd love to chat with you um, along the way. If you have questions just in general about the Bible or Christianity, uh, please give us a call. It's 888-995-KKLA. Pretty easy, 888-995-5552. So, Daniel, let's start off with inerrancy. And, um, you know, we could discuss infallibility here as well, I think. 
Um, it's closely, closely related and uh, sometimes maybe overlooked a bit. But when we say inerrancy, the scriptures are inerrant, can you give us, uh, the listeners, an idea of, of what that means? So the simplest way usually people talk about is the scriptures are without error. So everything that's in them is free of any error blemishless, spotless, blameless. This is the modern sense of what we would say, or of what we would mean when we say that the scriptures are perfect, right? So mm -hmm. the older sense is actually sufficiency. So when we say old school style that the scriptures are perfect, we mean they're complete, they're whole. That actually goes to sufficiency. So we, and we can also talk about perfection of scriptures in relation to their authority. But in what you're talking about right now, yeah, inerrancy is, there's nothing, there's not a single erroneous stroke of the pen. I would say the slightest stroke of the pen is without error in the Bible. And that's what we've, that's what most of us have believed. That's what Protestants should believe, if unless if they're departing from what they've believed in the past. Um, Non-Protestants, it gets more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we would say that the Bible teaches this itself. Sure. That we didn't bring this to the Bible. Yeah, so there's, that's a good point. You know, we're not here making up definitions uh, from some, you know, argument or some reasoning that we've come to on our own. Um, we we really arrive at these definitions through the scriptures themselves. What do what do they say about themselves? And so let's look at some of those scriptures. Um, I think one of the one of the most well known scriptures that speak to the inerrancy. Um, is 2 Timothy 3.16, and it reads this. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for... It's, it's, it has a certain purpose, right? For teaching us, for reproving us, for correcting us, and for training us in righteousness, so that... There's a there's an extension to this, so that every man may be thoroughly equipped, right, for every good work, right, that God has uh, appointed for us. So it's to equip us for good works. So it's all it's all God breathed. It's straight from the Lord Himself. Uh, John seventeen seventeen uh, just says, "Sanctify them in the truth." Right, this was Jesus in his high priestly prayer. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Right? There's nothing in God's word that is false. There's nothing in God's word that is in error, a contradiction, that is inconsistent with reality, the way things really are. Do you have any other scriptures you want to add, Dan? Oh, there's tons, but I, I did want to just quickly connect if we if we rewind really fast so the words of our savior you know thy word is truth sanctify them in their in the in thy truth thy word is truth mm -hmm. if the scripture is true then it has to be inerrant mm -hmm. so jesus is making the case for inerrancy himself directly right right he doesn't say it's mostly true your word is mostly true your your word is uh, true, but there could be some error mixed in or something like that, right? I mean, it should sound blasphemous to say that because it would mm -hmm. be. So, you know, Jesus is saying, and then 
furthermore, who is the truth personally? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, right? So he's also the truth. So he's saying, in a sense, the scriptures are true mm-hmm. and that he's the truth. So he's connecting himself as, right. as being to the scriptures. Yeah. And we see this when we call it the word of God, right? Because he's the divine word of God. He's the eternal word of God as well. So we would never say, I would hope, I would pray that none of us would ever even think that Jesus has error in him. Right. And then if we take that back to what you talked about in 3 verse 16, when it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is breathed out by God, that's what inspiration meant back Mm -hmm. when that's where you get inspiration, right? So if it's breathed out by God, would God breathe out error with with truth, with pure unmixed truth, or would he just breathe out only truth? So you actually get inerrancy just at the at the jump from almost the first words you said from the text. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are many more verses that you would want to look at. I, I think probably right There's now. A, Do we have we, a call? We could read through probably 30 verses <laughs> uh, that speak to the inerrancy of Scripture. You know, one more, you know, Psalm 12, 6, the, word, the words of the Lord are pure words, mm. like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Um, so there's plenty of, um, you know, places in Scripture where it speaks of this. So I did want to go to a call. Let's see if I could, uh, you know, get the mouse over there. Could you, could you put the caller in on line one? We got Eddie from Los Angeles' question about... Uh, Genesis chapter 14. Hey, Eddie, you're on the air with apologetics.com. How are you tonight? Can't hear you too well. Sorry. There you are. I'm, I'm okay, and, and what about you? I'm doing great. What are you up to tonight? Are you just uh, well, uh, at home listening, or what are you up to? I'm, com- I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm here at my, at my home now. Okay. I'm coming from I'm coming from work anyhow. So the reason I'm calling is because I'm very I'm very sad what my eyes seeing actually with a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of men or or men, I don't know, guys. Guys they yeah. are doing they are doing with the word of God. Um honestly my eyes seeing these guys are acting such as killers. They are killing the, the believers. That's my eye hmm. seeing because you know, uh, you know, I don't know why they don't get it. What Abraham, Abraham do or did? I don't know. My English is not very perfectly, but I hope you understand. Sure, so you. Abra- Abraham in chapter fourteen. Right, Genesis. He, he protect. He protect the people. When he coming back to defeat the king, Chedor uh, Chedor Laomer or Chedor Laomer, something like that, he protect the people when the king of Sodom came out to ask him for the people, for for the people, and he and he protect the people, he rescue, you know, mm-hmm. because the king the king of Sodom the Sodom. Uh, uh, serving to 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 someone to to another king who what we don't have exactly what king what king it is but he's hiding in the valley in that valley uh, such as representing the valley the valley of death the valley of death that's what that's what I get it in that in that 
in that uh, okay. passage that uh, the scripture. But there's a lot of, I don't know how many birds that chapter has, but each bird have a meaning. And each, each bird have answers, answers for the good, for good. Sure. Not answer for 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 bad for 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 acting such as bad right. guys against God. Do you do you have what is what is your specific question? You're, so you're reading Genesis 14, and are you saying is there people that are misinterpreting this? Yeah, as, yeah. In their they, teachings. They, oh well, the, the problem is they're mis they're doing misinterpretation, but they're 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 acting. I mean, the bad, the, 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 the devil, or the, they're calling devil, like I'm calling bad guy, uh, who's hiding, who's hiding behind them. They're putting these guys to, to, to do this practice, to, to give people, to, to, to sacrifice people, especially to the believers. I'm not lying. I'm not lying okay. to you because I am very, I am very, very, I am very straight with God, you know? Um, okay. If I'm reading, if I'm reading the word of God, so I have to understand what God is telling me. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. I don't. I did just the reason I'm calling you is because you you mentioned uh, some people are 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 doing are doing bad bad practices with the word of God. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You know, that's the reason. That's the reason I'm calling in, and my eyes are seeing this this. These bad practices to uh, from these people, not only men, women too, women right. who are preaching who are preaching God is is doing this kind of practices. But but you mentioned just, I mean, we have the chance to correct, to 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 yeah. make corrections and to repent. This is we Absolutely. cannot make corrections if we don't repent. Yeah, that's that's what repentance is, right? It's it's turning around, correcting, and uh, you know going yeah. going the other direction. Well, Eddie, we we appreciate your call, man. I uh, thanks for uh, thanks for reaching out. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. And it's not about judging. It's not about that. It's about you mentioning in Timothy all the word of God is expired by him. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have he gave it to us uh, these rights to 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 you know to, to this this word is the beautiful gift from God uh, to help to help. Each people who believe on him, you yeah. know, yeah, absolutely. So simple as that. So Amen. Thank you so much, and, and I hope you keep going, and, and I want to keep listening to you thank, guys. And thanks, Eddie. Yeah, we'll 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 talk about this a little bit in light of uh, our topic tonight. So thanks for calling, and uh, give us a call again. Yeah, very encouraging yeah, for call. Sure. For sure, God bless, and right. uh, keep going. Keep God bless, going. man. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. Well, thanks for the call, Eddie. Daniel, did you have any um, thoughts on on what he was talking about? Yeah. Genesis fourteen, in particular, just how it might relate, how how this kind of passage and his concern might relate to like inerrancy, authority, sufficiency. Yeah, um, I mean, I think when you look at Genesis fourteen, you well, first, it's it's good. It's a good example of what we're talking about in that it's history, right? So this is not myth. You're not looking at, you know, some sort of fable, but you're looking at events that actually happened. And mm -hmm. this is a, an important component in Abram's life, Abraham, who would be Abraham. Uh, and this is where Melchizedek shows up, right? Who I believe to be Jesus. Uh, I believe that that's a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. He's king of Salem, king of peace. Mm -hmm. And this is where he's offering bread and wine 
to Abram, Abram, who becomes Abraham. Uh, so it's a great passage. And what I was getting from Eddie is that it seems like some people around him might be um, not giving the plain sense of the text. And I, I didn't quite understand how they were twisting the scriptures, but this is something that scripture warns over and over against, right? You, you, if you seek to pervert the ways of God, it's to your own destruction. If you seek to twist the scriptures, it's to your harm, mm-hmm. right? And that, that would obviously follow from these are pure words, these are perfect words, and so you don't mess with them particularly in the church it's yeah. even it's even more grievous it's even more it should break our hearts even more if you see people in the church twisting the scriptures whether they be men or women as Eddie was I think alluding sure. to whether they be pastors or lay people you know members of the church officers of the church mm-hmm. so yeah we need to be very uh, zealous to defend not only not only God himself but the truth he's revealed about himself mm-hmm and if you think about it, how would you even begin to defend God without using his word? That would be a, a fool's errand I would submit to the audience. Uh, speaking of defending defending God, defending um, this topic, uh, inerrancy, which we were just talking about, um, I want to you know walk through a, a, a brief little argument here, a deductive argument that relates to inerrancy. Um, and, you know, the general form of the arg- argument is, you know, Premise A, premise B, and then there's a conclusion. And uh, the argument for inerrancy is that uh, premise A, premise number one, is that every utterance of God is perfect, as you were saying, and thus free from error, right? All scriptures God breathed, right? It's perfect, it's pure. God is not a liar, so everything he says is true. So um, every utterance of God is perfect and free from error, okay? That's premise A. So premise B is that all the truth claims of the Bible, right, of the, of the authors of the Bible, all the truth claims of the Bible's authors are utterances from God, right? So God can't speak error, and then all the Bible, Bible's writers, all the authors, were uttering God's words, right? So these men were moved by God, you know, Peter tells us, moved by the Holy Spirit to speak the words of God. Um, that's premise B, and then the conclusion is: if every utterance of God is perfect, and all the all the writers, uh, all the authors were uttering God's words, then all the truth claims of the Bibles are free from error. All right. So that's a simple uh, deductive argument. You know, the first premise is the idea God can't lie; He knows everything. Right. Um, the Bible writers declare that God's words are pure, which we talked about from Psalm 12. Um, and then Paul calls Scripture the word of truth, and uh, there's nothing spoken by God that is contrary to what is true. Um, premise B is this idea that we talked about earlier, all Scriptures God breathed, and that uh, you know God moved these men uh, to speak his, his words. So um, if anyone were to suggest, basically, that, that there are assertions in Scripture that don't accurately represent reality, uh, he would be implying that God is guilty of making statements that are factually untrue. Um, but Titus tells us that God cannot lie, so we so we believe that the Bible will always pass the test of truth, and that that goes for every area it touches on, whether it's touching on things related to science or astronomy or biology or geography or or whatever whatever have you. Um, 
but but that's kind of a basic kind of apologetic you know deduction to arrive at um, the inerrancy of of scripture yeah and if i may i think it's important to add if you, you, we're not seeking to defend a god who could lie or who would lie mm. so you know if, if you're looking at what you labeled premise a we're we're starting from god as he's revealed himself certainly right mm. but also from the god that i mean who wants to argue for a god who would lie or could lie um I don't. I don't. I would hope no one in the church right. would. It doesn't make doesn't make much sense. So there's a component of we're arguing for God who is the highest good and who is the perfection of goodness, the source of all mm -hmm. goodness. So God, as this good God, reveals Himself to His people. Part of Him being a good God is that He reveals Himself to His people. So mm -hmm. in order for that revelation of Himself to be good, it has to be free from error, and even beyond that. To, re to truly reflect him, his person, his nature, his character, mm -hmm. it has to be impossible that it err. It cannot err, which is infallibility. So you're getting, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and and you and we were talking a little about a little bit about this earlier. Infallibility, you would say, actually precedes inerrancy. Yeah, I think um, is is one logically prior to the other. Uh, yeah, I think uh, if we. The, the logical priority would be infallibility first from the way I think about it. But I think the orthodox notion, like the biblical view of inerrancy includes infallibility. It's just, we usually use inerrancy as the broader term, but I don't know someone who would read the Bible the way we would. And again, hopefully we're, it's, this is all clear instruction from the Holy ghost mm -hmm. who would say it's without error, but it could err. Mm -hmm. It was kept from error, but it could have erred. That's just not a position that you'll find in biblical churches. Right. And if it's infallible, if it's incapable of erring, then it follows that we would arrive at a text that is without error. Yeah, could, or, couldn't get there in the first place. Or inerrant. <laughs> right. Um, we hear some music coming up, which means we are halfway through our show on infallibility or inerrancy, authority, and the sufficiency of Scripture and how it relates to our lives. Uh, as we live them today. Uh, this is the Apologetics.com radio show. We'll be back right after these short messages. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. 
You know, there's a program on Saturday night that we hope you'll listen to. It's David James. It's Real Life with Gina Pastore. And David James. And Gina, what's your hope for the program every Saturday night at 730? My hope is that we can encourage you as you go through things like the grief journey, for instance, and how horrible that can be. And there's sometimes nowhere to turn. Hopefully we can help you with that. We talk about things like jealousy, lust, forgiveness. We help you make the distinction between what's the difference between love and lust and things like that. We talk about the things most people don't like to talk about. Gina, there's a lot of unrest and uncertainty in the world. Many of us are feeling angry, depressed, sad. What do we do with these emotions before we explode? You suggest that we care for our soul, get to the root causing these emotions. How do we do that? It's this Saturday night and every Saturday night at 7.30 here on KKLA. And we have a lot of fun, too. We do. I hope you'll join us. Alistair Begg is leading a spectacular nine-day Mediterranean cruise August of 2023. Experience the Creator's handiwork in the never-ending vistas of the Mediterranean and step into picturesque villages and iconic cities in Italy, Malta, Greece, Croatia, and more. You unpack only once, but wake up in a new historic destination every morning. Join Alistair Begg on this faith-building Mediterranean cruise and our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours, as he teaches the Word from biblical sites that deepen your understanding of the Bible. You'll sail gorgeous blue seas while exploring destinations where Paul preached the gospel. Off-ship, immerse yourself in the wonder of some of the world's most famous cathedrals, museums, and works of art. Combine this with daily teaching from Alistair and make new lifelong friendships. For details, log on to kkla.com keyword cruise. That's kkla.com keyword cruise. All right, let's get back to the apologetics.com radio show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. This is the second half of our hour-long show. This is Jason Gallagher at Apologetics.com, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. If you're just joining us, I'm in the studio tonight with my good buddy, Daniel Adrian, and we're talking about Scripture, the inerrancy, the authority, and the sufficiency of Scripture, and how our understanding of these doctrines... Um, and really, you know, how they, you know, how we think about these things and how we actually um, believe in the Bible's authority or its sufficiency really ha- outwork themselves in our lives in very practical ways. And we might not even realize it, but if we look at some areas of our lives, it'll, it'll show whether or not we believe the Bible is authoritative or whether it isn't. There are a lot of things going on in our culture today, which many of you are aware of. Some of the things like what is a male or what is a female or how many sexes or how many genders are there or what is marriage, you know, or who are the proper parties uh, to come together in marriage Um, All sorts of things along these lines. And how we think about these things really reflect how we understand and view Scripture, right? And as we—so we talked in the first half hour about inerrancy, this idea that the Bible is without error, 
And now we're going to kind of transition to authority and sufficiency. And I think we'll start with sufficiency. And some of the ways I want to think about this and help us to think about this is to look at some practical examples or even some places where people try to make fun of um, people who think that the Bible is, you know, the end of everything, right? And some people might might say, th- you might have heard a term such as, there's no Christian way to change a diaper. You know, Daniel was telling me earlier, there, you know, some people might say, there's no Christian way to be a plumber. There's no Christian way to be, you know, an electrician. Or there's no Christian way to make stir-fry for dinner, Okay. Now, I really want you guys to think about some of these questions. Is there a Christian way to change a diaper, right? Well, let's start to think about this. Let me ask you a few questions, right? When you're, if you've ever had a child or you've you know, changed a diaper uh, for a child, is that something you should do with love, with gentleness, with patience? Is that something you should do with care? Or should you just... Or does that not matter, right? Should you do that in a way where you're seeking to love that child as yourself? Or should you just do that as if that child is, you know, does not have any value or dignity or any worth, inherent worth, right? And I think it's clear to see that even something as simple as changing a diaper can certainly be done in a Christian way, right? You want to clean the child well you want to make sure they're not going to get any rashes or be dirty or anything like that. You want to be gentle with them and love them and care for their skin and care for their, you know, just care for them, right? You know, God calls us to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, is there a question, Christian way to be a plumber, right? Do you want to be honest with your, with your customers? Should you tell them something's broken when it's really not? Should you you know, cross the hot water line with the, with the cold water line as, you know, a fun little joke, um, and turn the water heat all the way up to it's scalding hot and, you know, have someone potentially burn themselves when they think they're getting cold water instead of hot water and so on and so forth. There is a way to do everything. I hope I want to get this point across everything we do, whether we're brushing our teeth, you know, whether we're doing plumbing or whether we're cooking a meal for someone. You know, do we want to cook that meal with things that are healthy and life-giving? Or do we want to put, you know, poison in it? You know, there's certainly non-Christian ways to do things, which, which tells us that there is certainly Christian ways to do things. And where do we learn what the Christian way is to do something? But in the Word of God. Again, it is the God who breathed out His Holy Word through men, and they wrote it down and gave it to us. So every word we have in Scripture is without error, because God cannot lie. Every word is pure, because God is pure. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. He is also the word become flesh. So the word is truth. The word is life. It gives us life. And so everything that we do, you know, I'm an engineer, I do my engineering, I do my calculations when I'm building something, you know, that I know someone's going to be using. You do it in a way that 
glorifies God and will bring life or something good and not harm to the person who might be using it, whether it's an automobile, whether it's an airplane, whether it's a spacecraft, you know, whatever it might be. There is a Christian way to do absolutely everything. And it's told us in his word, which is, which is where we get this doctrine of sufficiency, right? That God's word is sufficient for everything in life, right? In Christ, in him, we live and move and have our being, right? Christ tells us that everything we do, whatever we do, do it to the glory of God, right? Which means that um, his word tells us how to do those things. His commands give us the guidelines uh, within which to do all that we do. And it is in that way and in that sense, um, and maybe even more senses, which, which Daniel, Daniel, I know, will happily um, unpack for us. But, you know, that is kind of the idea behind how Scripture is absolutely sufficient for all things. And before we go over to Daniel um, to, uh, to kind of tell us more about this sufficiency of Scripture, I did want to throw out our number. Again, we do have open lines. If you're at home, wherever you're at tonight, if you want to chime in and give us a call and uh, give us your thoughts or ask a question about the Bible or the Scriptures, something you might be wrestling with, uh, please give us a call. It's 888-995-KKLA. It's 888-995-5552. So, Daniel, uh, what does it mean when we say God's Word is sufficient? Excellent question. This goes back to the other sense, the older sense of perfection. So it's complete, it's whole, right? If something is complete and whole, it lacks nothing, therefore it's all-sufficient right? If it's not lacking something, if it's not missing anything, then it's sufficient, it's complete, it's perfect, it's whole. So when we think about God, going back to God, everyone, again, we would hope, we would pray that everyone would confess that God, by his very nature and power and being and essence, is all-sufficient. So once again, we have to ask, it begs the question, if would an all-sufficient God give an insufficient or a word that is not all sufficient, right? If you look mm. at 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, that's all of you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work, as it is written. And then it goes on to quote scripture. Mm -hmm. So it's it says that you have all sufficiency in all things, and that that will abound to every good work, and then quotes the Bible. And it's in the Bible that this has told us. So using the Bible to establish the Bible is what the Bible itself does. And that's what we do because the mm -hmm. Bible actually teaches us to do it that way. Mm -hmm. So when someone tells you, you can't use the Bible to talk about the Bible, well, what else would I use? Would right. I use the Quran to talk about the Bible? Would I use some other falsely so-called holy book? No, I'd use the Bible. So the Bible yeah. even is, because of its self-attesting, and self-authenticating nature, this also points to its sufficiency, right? Mm -hmm. It, it self-attesting, it it's gives a, a, a true and a perfect, in fact, testimony of itself. Mm -hmm. And then self-authenticating, 
that might be a little more common to our ears or a little a little easier for our ears at this time of night you know it authenticates itself it verifies itself it establishes its own truth right because that's going back yeah. to inerrancy and in that you if you analyze all of the bible you will find no errors mm -hmm. you won't you won't find a contradiction one because it's impossible yes but two even if you were to do this exercise which people have done uh and part of what we do is we kind of um we address supposed contradictions supposed errors right so people will call or people will ask in our lives what does this mean or is this really a contradiction no of course mm -hmm. not and the ultimate answer yeah. is just like because christ is our all-sufficiency because the father is our all-sufficiency and of course the holy ghost is our all-sufficiency then this word that he's given us there's that connection between the word and the word again back to christ the incarnate work word excuse me the incarnate word and the bible as the inscripturated word mm -hmm. right the written word there's that connection again but of course it's going to be all sufficient because again that's what a good god that's what an all-sufficient god gives to his children he gives an all-sufficient word and so why is that so key here uh, if it is all sufficient, it's not lacking anything, then of mm -hmm. course it does have to apply to everything. Yeah. There's no area left out. Yeah. How could it not? I mean, th because yeah. any area that it didn't apply to, you could say, well, it's not sufficient for this. Now, what people yeah. will do is they'll change the parameters, right? They'll change the rules of the game after you've already started playing. Yeah. And they'll say, well, it's not sufficient to build a Tesla right. or to launch a SpaceX rocket. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't know anyone who would argue that that's what we mean when we say it's all sufficient. Mm -hmm. What we would say instead is the reason why we can do science, and in fact the reason why the modern world, even since the Enlightenment, has done science the way that it has, is because of the presuppositions given to us by, by the way, the sufficient presuppositions given, given to, to us by the sufficient scripture. Yeah. So the answer to the question is... Indirectly, yes. Yeah, in a sense, I can build a all of those things yeah. because the, you know, science, technology, all that stuff, the the foundations of science are really um, built on the principles found in Scripture, right? Um, which is a whole other topic, which is part of the part of what I lectured on at the Bonson Conference back in November, um, and I'll just kind of give the listeners a, a heads up on that. If you go to our branch of Branch of Hope, who sponsors this particular show, this once a month, Branch of Hope Church in Torrance. Uh, we have a, a YouTube channel, Branch of Hope, Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and we hosted a Bonson conference, Greg Bonson, uh, the late Greg Bonson, it was in honor of him. It was three days on eschatology, on applied presuppositional apologetics, and on the law of God and ethics. Um, so all those lectures are up on YouTube at our Branch of Hope uh, YouTube channel, so go check that out. But yeah, the scriptures are sufficient. I think there's two big categories here, Daniel. Um, they are sufficient for salvation, faith, right? That's a that's one category. There's the perspicuity of scripture, all of those things which tell us all we need to know to be saved, to be reconciled to God, um, uh, to have a right, uh, a right relationship with the God that we have sinned against, that we have offended, um, through our deeds, and, um, you know, that Christ came and died uh, so that we can be reconciled, so that we, our sins can be paid for, um, that we can be forgiven, and that we can be uh, reunited to God and dwell with Him for eternity. Uh, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So it's totally sufficient for that knowledge, for that transaction, and then it's also sufficient for service. 
I think everything else we've talked about, whether it's building a Tesla, that's a service, that's a good work, that's a, you know, it's certainly a work. Um, you know, I think it's a good work. Um, people might argue that, but anything done, you know, I think in faith, you know, for the glory of God, um, you can say, you know, is good uh, through the blood of Christ. Um, and, and, you know, Second Timothy, again, it tells us that uh, all Scripture, God-breathed, was given to us uh, so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So not only so that we can be saved, but for every good work. And that's basically the two categories um, that define all of our lives, right? Um, our relationship to God, and then what we do uh, for Him. And that last um, part, what you, you another way that you could think about, that you could conceptualize thoroughly furnished or thoroughly equipped, is sufficiently equipped. If it's yeah. thorough, it's sufficient. If it's yeah. throughly, it's the old word, it's sufficiently. Sufficient. So, but you actually, I think, hit on, you're right on the cusp, you almost said it directly, I think. It was almost like it was on the tip of your tongue. Why I think there is a fundamental misunderstanding of sufficiency in some circles. I think it started with a fundamental uh, mistaking, a moving away from our old and tried and true and historic and confessional and biblical understanding of salvation, mm -hmm. right? Because if you truncate what salvation is and you isolate only believing the right doctrines, whatever it may, whatever a particular group or person would do, and you cut that off from the transformed life of living out what it means to be saved, then you start asking questions like, is yeah. there a Christian way to do this or that thing? Or mm -hmm. so it's, it, it starts with a, in, in, in a lot of circles we're familiar with, I think it starts with a lack of properly applying what the Bible teaches about salvation. And that's what you did in connecting those two dots, right? We say there's this restoration of right relationship to God and then how we live out that restoration of right what, what is that how, do, how does that impact us what's mm -hmm. next like how what how are we living in light of that and of course how we're living in light of that as you said it's a lot of service a lot of good works mm -hmm. and you good works that by the way not only he's equipped us to do but he's prepared in advance that we would do he foreordained from the foundation of the earth a set of good works for every believer to do yeah and then absolutely he, and then we know about that from the sufficient scripture amen uh, we did have a caller on the line, which we'll hop over to now. Uh, looks like we have Ted from the City of Angels, and it's a question about same-sex marriage and going to family gatherings. So, Ted, you are on the air with Apologetics.com. How are you tonight? Thank you, uh, gentlemen, for being a service. I always say that being a service makes the devil nervous. There you go. And, uh, amen to that. Let me type but, that uh, yeah, we might have to borrow yeah, that one. <laughs> amen, amen. It's you know, I'm sure it's been said before, right? It's uh, you know, nothing new under the sun. Mm. But uh, at any rate, uh, gentlemen, you know, it was uh, Pastor um, uh, Scott today. He didn't have time. He had like three seconds, and he said, uh, "I only got three seconds at the end. I'll say uh, hi and I'll say goodbye." Um, that's all he could do. Uh, and he said, Ted, so he, he, in a loving way, he tried to help this woman today that struggled with, uh, I guess she knew this, uh, young man as a child. And then he decided to do a same sex marriage 
uh, he knew ahead of time uh, what she felt about it. So she wasn't invited, and she said she wouldn't have attended anyways. And now she struggles with family gatherings around the holidays, being there. And another family member told her um, that you shouldn't go anymore. And Pastor, you know, Scott struggled, and he, because he's a very, you know, he wants to come in a loving approach. And he said, well, I wouldn't recommend that. You should have a relationship with the child or the man. And uh, now, um, at what point does scriptures, like Jesus said, if you love even your family more than me, mm-hmm. that I won't accept you. And, uh, you know, um, clearly he says homosexuality, you want to inherit the kingdom of God. You know, uh, he goes down the list of everything, drunkards, you know, all this, adulterers right. and um, fornicators, whatever. Uh, but there's a whole list. Anybody can go through it. Um, and, um, now, uh, I'm not saying not having a relationship with this person, but, uh, it also says if you're not well received in one's home, leave and bring the peace that you brought with you. Now, if she's not at peace with it and it's affecting her spiritually and, 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 you know, at what point where, um, uh, is it not better to just follow Christ and say, look, I can't be around this. You know, I, look, I, I grew I have childhood friends, two of them have chose uh, same-sex uh, participation, um, um, and uh, it's an unclean spirit, and uh, and so they're, they fall victim to this um, way of life, uh, just like uh, beware of the curse of the drink, it's all a curse, uh, um, as far as I'm, as far as the Word of God is concerned. And so at any rate, um, having said all that, um, uh, is it not healthier for her? Because uh, maybe she may bring in uh, family gatherings, uh, other family members that that have been influenced by um, this sort of thing. Because people, you know, you start okaying everything, and then people, you know, um, it attacks. Uh, oh, well, you're you're a hater if you don't accept this. Well, that sort of stuff is just like passing a joint, you know to some kid that wants to fit in that really doesn't like marijuana and he ends up doing it anyways and then becomes an addict uh, just because he wants to fit in. So at what point are we not doing our duty to cheat? I'm sorry, to actually choose um, Jesus over your own family member, you know? And, and I I even had to tell my mother at one point and um, she's the best mother I've ever met and everybody in the neighborhood agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, look, mom, I love Jesus more than I love you. Mm-hmm. And it was a turning point in our relationship. So having said all that, mm. without cutting off a relationship to that family member, um, I personally would not go to those get togethers and, right. you know, it, and what's your take? That's on a good question. Guys? Thanks, Ted. Yeah, we really appreciate the question, uh, especially in light of what we're talking about. We're talking about inerrancy of Scripture. We're talking about the authority of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture. So, you know, in that sense, Daniel, I'll throw it to you. Um, the the all-sufficient, all-authoritative, and inerrant Word of God, what do you think it has to say to answer uh, Ted's question? We got five minutes left here. All right. Well, thank you, Ted. Uh, I think, so there's a couple of things here, right? First, you said you wouldn't. So if 
the scripture is clear that which is not of faith is sin. So if you can't do it in good conscience, then that's definitely true. Now, some people will say, oh, that's you're subjectivizing a moral issue. You're making it subjective. You're relativizing. You're making it relative. No, no, no. I'm saying you've already. So one person might say, I can't do this in good conscience. And then two, here's what no Christian can do. If by the Christian's presence, they are seeming to be, I think you actually use the language of being okay with the sin. That's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid the appearance of evil, abstain from all appearances of evil. We want to avoid the appearance, even the appearance of saying we're countenancing, we're, this is okay by our presence. Now, I think a lot of family events, and this is true in my own life, I go to a lot of family events in which my presence does not countenance any number of sins that may or may not be active in their lives, right? And they don't tell me all their sins either. So this one's known. So it, it becomes a question of, is your presence, this hypothetical person, is that hypothetical person in this hypothetical situation's presence countenancing, saying it's okay to be same-sex married, quote-unquote, or in a same-sex relationship, basically, you know, committing sodomy, but, uh, sinning, sinning against the flesh, sinning against the natural affections of a man or a woman, which is certainly unclean. I don't know if I'm quite clear on what you meant by an unclean spirit, but yeah, definitely prohibited. So if that's the case, then of course a Christian cannot in good conscience have any part in saying that that kind of behavior is okay. Uh, the other thing would be, I think, and you actually touched on this too, Tim, uh, which was uh, saying, being very clear that, you know, I love you guys, but I do love Jesus more, and that you show that by your behavior. And that's where that could be, where in a hypothetical you couldn't attend in good conscience, or it could be a loving attendance in which you compromise nothing. So you're there, and you're present, and you bear testimony to the truth in your presence, and so now it's actually discountenancing the sin, but showing and reaching out to the people who might be enslaved by a specific sin, in this case, the sin of acting out on same-sex attraction. Yeah, that's that's very, very complete. And uh, But it's still, at what point, uh, say you're bringing children in there, and they're mm -hmm. influenced by, you know, two men or two women holding hands and, and doing something that's very, very confusing for a child who is going through adolescence, which we know for a fact uh, that you don't even fully mature till you're 26. You yeah. know, your, bone, your bones don't even have the full density until you're 26. Mm -hmm. um, it's been proven. It's, and that, I mean, the most dangerous years for, for kids are teenage to 27. They go to prison because they're not mature enough to handle certain situations. And, uh, you know, yep. I mean, I look at pictures when I was, uh, playing pop Warner football and me and my brother and I, I mean, I look more like my mother, you know, a little pretty boy and, uh, probably had some, uh, very girlish actions, which I see yep. on a lot of young mm -hmm. kids where you can't even tell whether they're a boy or a girl. And then all of a sudden fast forward, 11 years later, I'm 6'2", 235 pounds with a 34-inch waist and 17-and-a-half-inch arms uh, playing football for Santa Monica College, uh, you know, voted the best defensive tackle in the hardest league in the nation with junior colleges. So, uh, Ted, 10 seconds, 10 seconds. Sorry, we're, on the, we're, we're about to wrap here. And that's, and 
that's about it, sir. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. what, why are we denying kids to um, mature on their yeah. own? Roger that, man. Ted, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. We, uh, I hope you call back. And uh, yeah, that's we, great. we appreciate great the stuff, call. Ted. Very thorough question. It's Sorry. a great question. It's a great question, and it's a timely question. Yeah. And, you know, I think, Ted, I, I commend you. I, I really do. I respect, I, I respect you a lot for your commitment to Christ, uh, your commitment to the truth. And, um, you know, Jesus tells us that, um, you know, he, he did not come to bring peace but a sword. You know, there will be division. If they hated you, they hated him first. Um, and so we, that happens. That happens when we stand up for righteousness. That happens when we stand up for Christ. Uh, sometimes it results in pain, division, or hatred. Um, but it is, it is always our heart to love those around us, um, even if that means speaking the truth um, in love to them. So thanks for listening to Apologetics.com, all of you out there. Um, until next Friday, be encouraged, uh, be strengthened, and keep the faith. God bless you.